I forgot to say congratulations to us about 150 episodes, like three episodes ago. Did you know that we did that? Yeah, I guess because we did the lightning talk. I guess I remember that. But 150, mm, it feels premature to celebrate. Like your celebrations are exponentially spaced apart. So like episode one is a celebration two, four, eight, you know. So, um, but either way, good job us. We made it this far. On to 200, James. <laughs> yeah, I think 200 is the big one. And in fact, I didn't even think anything of it. And then a few of our listeners tweeted at us congratulating us on 150. And I was like, oh. I guess that's a big number. It's not quite three years, though. It's like almost three years, you know? Yeah, I, I never understood how we're so not aligned. I guess there's 52 weeks in a year. Have we ever missed a week? I don't think we've missed a week. Never. So that helps. How do we do this? Well, I'm not traveling this week. Are you traveling this week? I'm not traveling this week now. That's why we're being so good at this. <laughs> we even pull it off while we're traveling. But yep, good job. Um, I don't know. Just a milestone. <laughs> Just a milestone. Well, you know, going into this podcast recording, it's bittersweet because last week we could have done a WWDC predictions followed by here's everything that just happened at WWDC. <laughs> but now, Frank, this podcast is coming out on a sneaky Monday in which Apple is doing the keynote. Can you believe that? That's never happened. Yeah, it would be so awkward to make our terrible predictions. And then just two hours later, you find out what actually happened. So I guess we're going to save ourselves the shame. But I'm looking forward to dark mode and iOS. That's my only prediction. <laughs> uh, here's here's a prediction for you. OK, ready? Uh huh. Uh, iOS is going to come become more like Android, just like Android has become more like iOS. And now macOS will become more like iOS. And then that's iOS so <laughs> will become more like macOS, which just got a dark mode. Boom. That's so cynical and true. <laughs> Good job, James. I agree 100 percent. No, I'll, I'll you know, we've been talking about marzipan the whole time, so I'm just going to be glued to the TV and we might have to wait for not just the keynote, but uh, what do they call that? The developer uh, state of the union. State of the union. You got it. So that should be the good juicy part. Yeah, I'm very, very excited. Um, like, like I said, we're going to do just a normal podcast. I don't know if we'll do a special episode or anything like that, but we'll be live tweeting it, I'm sure, on Monday and <laughs> going to town. And and yeah, if my prediction's anything of mass marzipanification, I am all about it. I think it will help the world and it will be lovely. So um, anyways, let's uh, let's go on to our main topic, which I sort of threw out there because I've been doing some live streaming like I always do working on my Hanselman app, Frank. You know, I love a good <laughs> Hanselman app. I love these weeks. I love the weeks when you do something new and then we get to talk about it. We should have like some kind of slogan for this. James did something new. Ding, Let's ding. listen to them do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can watch me, you can listen and, and you know, boom. So, yeah, so I've been bu building this app and I started over with from scratch. So Hanselman Informs is this like celebrity application. And the idea is what I had five years ago in Forms release was that <laughs> I wanted to build something that I could show Hanselman that would wow him. So I said, Hanselman's everywhere. He has podcasts, he has a blog, he has Twitter uh, he has all sorts of other social media. I'm going to pull it all into one app and sort of make it the Scott Hanselman app. And it's evolved you know, as well. Can, can I paint a picture here, though? Because yeah. I don't know if you even know a little bit of secret history here. Uh -uh. Um, 
I worked on one of the original Hanselman iOS Xamarin apps many, many, many moons ago uh, with Chris NTR. And he and I, for some reason, decided we're going to take it upon ourselves to write Hanselman an app to just just show off, basically. I don't know why we were doing it. And so uh, it's funny. Uh, it all comes around. I've been there. I've worked on such an app. And it's kind of fun. This was back in the day where everyone thought they were going to do custom apps for everything, but then realized they don't have the time or resources to do it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. So, so yeah, eight years later, we're still building apps around Hanselman. That, that's the... That's I mean, the story. if you're going to pick a subject, I think it's a great idea for just showing off frameworks and showing off tools. It's way better than what's my normal one. Click a button and a counter goes up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think yeah. uh, your standard one used to be also be the monkey viewer. I don't think Always. you do that one too much Always. anymore. I still do. But I still do. OK, good, good. Uh, yeah. So just having Hanselman as a subject, he's so prolific. He can just he's done videos, audio, words. All that stuff. <laughs> so, he has done. He source. has done all of the things. The yeah. So I thought like this would be cool because let's say you have a favorite celebrity or someone else, or you want to build your own app for yourself. You could easily tie up a data source, pull it in, change a few theming. Done. You got yourself an app. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of cool. So I thought You're selling it. What's I'm going selling on here? You're, no, you're no, white labeling no. this thing. <laughs> no, the idea is that you could, but no, no, you're good. Okay. So. The entire concept that I had going into this new year is I really wanted to modernize it. I thought that Xamarin Forms was in this really great place, um, better than ever. And I knew that Shell was coming out, collection views coming out, visuals coming out. I was like, wow, there's just so much stuff. And people use this app because Hanselman wrote a whole blog post on it many moons ago. I said, this app better look good and it could be a cool reference app. <laughs> I said, I need to actually work on it and do pull requests and make it fresh. So, okay. Well, well, paint us a little bit more of a picture. How how is its UI at this um historical point in time? Is it good? I mean, you're saying you want to use new controls. What did you think the UI was kind of just old or do you think it had some weak spots? Paint us a picture. Yeah, so the application it's 5 years old, so it has some 5 years of cruft on it, if you will. Uh I would say that iOS and Android UI paradigms haven't changed that much. But at the time, how you would do multiple sections was kind of the flyout navigation, which the world's kind of moving away from in some regards based on how much you have. And everybody's all about bottom tabs now and <laughs> card views and kind of some of the similar UI between iOS and Android and rounded corners and circles. And, you know, the application was really just a bunch of list views. It was a bunch of list views and that was it. It was very simplistic. There was hardly any design work that went into it. So I just slapped down items. Uh, you know, the, it just wasn't the most beautiful thing that I could build, but it, it got the point across, like, look what you could build. In fact, I built it in a weekend or like one night is like five hours or something I'm like, well, look what you could build in five hours. And that's pretty cool. And then I thought, what if I'd spent more time 10 hours, 20 hours, 30 hours, 40 <laughs> hours on it, you know, every Friday and <laughs> made it really nice with beautiful card views with rounded corners. And what if it could adapt to, you know, landscape mode or tablets? And what if it had, you know, a modern podcast player built into it before I just had three buttons that said play, pause, stop. Like that's not good, <laughs> right? That's bad. Yeah. Uh, there were, it was demo where it was demo where yeah. before. 
Uh, uh, I, I, I love that you're putting in a full podcast player because this is something we used to do a lot back in the day, actually, because Apple and Android made it pretty easy to just new up a media player and add some play pause controls. And I think that's why we all had play pause because that part was just so easy. So I'm curious if you're doing like, you know, the slider and taking show notes and that kind of stuff. But uh, nope, nope. Answer those questions first, but but I, I have questions after that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So so the podcast player, yeah, the idea is that I want to have the ability to download, to stream. If I get really fancy, I'll do background. I've done that in the past. That's a little bit complicated. Uh, you know, you could do the artwork cover, things like that. It's all possible. Mm-hmm. It just depends how much okay. time I want to have. But it was really a how can we modernize the UI with modern paradigms. So I wanted bottom tabs everywhere. I wanted material design in more places and oh, uh, not everywhere, a- but more places. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Cause I think that that's the biggest question modern Xamarin forms people face is whether to use the new visual material thing, but you decided, yep, yep. You're going for it in certain places, not everywhere. You don't need to use it everywhere. It's okay to, to, ah. to not use it everywhere. Yeah. Just in some places. Yeah. Well, where are you using it, James? Well, I'm using it definitely for uh, buttons in many places. Not all buttons, but some buttons that could have a nice ripple effect. The frame in Xamarin Forms gets a nice overview because it has a really nice drop shadow now around it. You can have rounded corners. You can make it a circle. It, it really changes the game uh, there. And you can put anything inside of it, too. So you can have a circle image without having extra controls or custom controls. It's just built in. Now, uh, is yeah. that regardless of visual or is that just work well with material visual? So the vis- the visual frame previously was not very elegant. It wasn't, it had like a weird drop shadow on iOS because it didn't really have a official thing. Now it has proper drop shadows and it just looks better in all regards in general. So, okay. uh, so that's that works nice. for native UIs then. Yeah. And, and then, you know, okay. I think, in general, like the sliders and a little activity indicators, I can I can update. But it mostly what I get out of it is a little bit nicer look on Android and a little bit nicer look on iOS where I see fit. Whereas the biggest change is not visual. It's probably collection view and making that work and getting rid of list views in many places. So let's dig a little into that, because I think <laughs> when you're writing mobile apps for the first time, you realize how important these reusable views are. And Collection View, I've heard all the hype. They say it's super configurable, it's super efficient, the syntax is easier to use. Are any of those true? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, Collection View is great. Uh, the nice thing with Collection View is that it's nearly the identical uh, API to list view. So it's a list view. It has a data template and you can put stuff in it. The perk there is that it uses UI collection view under the hood, which we all know is very superior to UI table view. No, no shade. (laughs) UI table view is a thing of amazing, but yeah, I, I, I'm still a table view, table view forever, but I, I, I've used collection view. It's fine. (laughs) It's nice when you want to have multiple columns that's yeah. all that's all card uis navigation uis um yeah 
modern UIs. You're right. Modern nice, modern UIs have multiple columns. Yeah, and the nice thing is that you can now scroll left and right. You can make it horizontal. You make it vertical. You can have multiple rows. You can have multiple columns. It's very. Uh, you can make very visually pleasing user interfaces. You can kind of nest these together, uh, which is very cool. So, for instance, what I did in the blog is I have a really cool background image and then some overlays of the title on it in this card. And then if you rotate your device into portrait mode or landscape mode, sorry, it will show two blogs side by side. So instead of just making the blog <laughs> bigger, it makes it two, right? Or if you're on a tablet, uh, it'll be two. And then if you're on a TV, it'll make it four or something like that. I don't, you'll never be on a TV, but on Android TV, I guess it would work. So you can sort of factor that in to say when I'm on a tablet or a phone or whatever form factor, give me multiple columns uh, and it'll magically do everything for you. So that's sort of the biggest change. And it's the combination of things. It's the modernization to say, we're going to use the card views. We're going to use the collection views and, and eventually I'll use a carousel view and, and things that <laughs> make a more modern UI. Yeah, that's really fun. I'm really curious to see how they handled nesting of collection views. That sounds like an absolute disaster. <laughs> and <laughs> I've read um, all of the touch manuals from Apple. And I even built a UI once and I called it a thumb-based UI where you could do everything by flicking your thumb around. And the way it worked was nested table views and scroll views and collection views all within each other. But to pull off that orchestration, I, uh, well, you really have to read the manual, honestly, to see like who gets preference under what situation for what direction stroke, and you have to handle all those conditions. They do nest very nicely, but it's always complicated. So I'm curious um, if it's if it technically supports nesting or if it uh, actually thoroughly supports nesting. I'm just being a little cynical <laughs> well i've seen some people did a collection view challenge and they made some uh very beautiful apps like a netflix type of app so i think that mm -hmm. if you have a scroll view and then you have collection views inside of it that are going uh horizontal like left to mm -hmm. right i think that yeah. works really well yeah the easy case <laughs> now the question so, yeah. will be if the collection view inside of a scroll view or you know that works i'm not positive yeah. i need to look it, at it. it's always a question of if you have two vertical scrollers what happens when the top vertical scroller is done do you auto scroll to the bottom it's all that fine stuff anyway i didn't mean to make this a episode about collection view i just it, i perked up when you when you said nested well the funny part about it and, and i'm calling this like kind of the modernization but it's not just about the ui you know i want to get to the back end too which is what i really want to talk about but the funny part is that when you start modernizing the front end, as things have progressed, there's just so much more to learn. That's sort of the ironic part, which is in the beginning, right, of, of iOS, of Android, of Xamarin Forms, everything is so sim simple in quotes, right? Because you can make it complicated, but you're like, oh, like, it's cool because I can do this and I can do this and I can build things really fast. And then five years later, there's all of that plus five years of stuff, right? Like not only does Xamarin Forms, but of iOS, of Android, like, do I show the title of you? Do, what happens when I scroll? Like, is there safe zones? Like, how do I do bottom tabs? How do I do the top tabs? Like, how do I do the fly? Like, how do I make it the collection view and 
how does it proportionally do it? And like, now I got to worry about all these other devices. So that is what five years later, I've been in it for you know eight years, but still learning. And that's something that boggles my mind. So these questions are real questions that I'm thinking through as I'm building the app because app UIs, if you're not just using a standard UI collection or table view, then things can get complicated. <laughs> yeah, um, my reference for complicated is always Snapchat. If you remember that app, they just had crazy UI for every action. It was semi-discoverable and learnable. You know, certainly people who use the app learned it, but it was definitely not standard UI. They took a lot of chances and that kind of stuff. And I often think about UIs in terms of fashion trends, honestly, and not just in the graphical design, but in these user interactions. Often it feels like we're just going along a path because a cool app came out, so we all copy how that app did something, you know, that's how we got <laughs> pulled to refresh with table view. So it's not yeah. so bad, these UI trends, but these UI trends can also age your app. So not just, you know, keeping up with the OS, but just in UI design trends, like, uh, like you said, the flyout. We're just, I've always hated the hamburger menu and the flyout. So it was so nice to hear that you think those are starting to go away, actually. Slowly but surely, they're the, they're the overflow you know, where you need to get into settings or change accounts or something, but even that's going away. They have bottom sheets and all sorts of stuff, but you are correct. The trend that I hear currently is gradients. People love gradients, Frank. <laughs> They're back, baby. Yeah. Uh, are we getting first class support for gradients? I'm sure there's a billion nougats you could download for Xamarin Forms. Is that one of those features that's coming in? There are, and I'm pretty sure there are a bunch of nougats. The pancake view is one of my favorite from Steven, but I'm pretty sure on the Xamarin Forms roadmap that uh, that there is, I'm pretty sure it says first class support for gradients. Like that's actually a feature on there. And I'm like, that's silly, but cool. Like one Why? is rounded corners, gradients and brushes. It's literally July, August. Wonderful. Three. Yeah. Well, we've had this abstract brush class forever and all we ever had was really solid brush. So it's like, thank God we're getting something interesting going on. Give me those I gradients. Mean, yeah. Love them. Yeah. Did you see, uh, speaking of not WWDC, but um, a few screenshots leaked out about it and a little bit of skeuomorphism is coming back. Apple's starting to put gradients back into their apps. So it's back, baby. iOS 6 forever. It survived. <sighs> oh, gosh. Here we go. All right. Well, let's stop talking about the app because I want to talk about the fun stuff, which is the back end for the application. But first, let's take a quick break and thank our sponsor this week, our good friends over at the Telerik team at Progress. They've been cooking up all sorts of awesome things. First and foremost, we always like to talk about it because I love Blazor and they just released the Telerik UI for Blazor. Now, if you don't know what Blazor is, it allows you to run your ASP.NET server-side applications client-side. You can run entire web apps on your desktop or anywhere. It's great. It's really, really cool. Runs all in WebAssembly, or you can still set it on your server, and things run locally. So you run C-sharp in the browser, which is cool. And of course, you need UI for that. So that's where Telerik UI for Blazor comes in. It has all sorts of great web UI components, specifically designed for Blazor so that we can create rich web interfaces all in C-sharp. No more JavaScript needed. Get out of here. But if you're building anything else, including Xamarin applications, they have beautiful controls and templates and everything that you need for your iOS, Android, and Windows applications, 
all from a shared single code base. What's cool is everything is super optimized for Visual Studio 2019. So you can go and check it out by going to Telerik.com. That's it, Telerik.com. And thanks to Telerik Progress for sponsoring this week's pod. Thanks, Telerik. Oh, man. I know I said it before, but it's super cool that they're staying so up to date with uh, their controls and Blazor and all that. It's super cool. You got to. I love it. I just want to grab stuff and shove it in the app and boom, now I have something. So, (laughs) all right. So. All um, right. You yeah. want to talk about the back end for something. I, I just I'm I'm afraid, you know, we we only spent half the episode on the mobile UI part. Now we're gonna spend half on the web. We've turned you into such a web person, James. What have we done? But I guess uh servers are necessary features of apps these days. So this will be fun. What'd well, you do, James? The best part is that there was no back end, Frank, for the app ever. Oh, um, yeah, that makes sense because Hanselman's going to have a bunch of RSS feeds and I assume you were just pulling down all of that. So there was a back end, but Hanselman was uh, hosting it just for whatever. <laughs> Some Somebody somewhere was paying a bill for me to yeah. <laughs> hit. So there was a one I had to call a Twitter API. So that's one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hanselman's blog. That's two. And then I had three separate feeds for three different podcasts, all right? And then I had a channel nine feed for the video. So that's six different feeds that needed to be parsed and updated all inside of the application. And they all probably used a variant of RSS and Atom. So you had to have a good library that could consume all of them. I have written these kind of multi-source apps a lot. And I think that a lot of mobile apps become this we always simplify to you write your web server and your database and then your app talks to that. But the truth is, yeah, you're usually hitting many data sources. And I've always had um, architectural issues with this, actually, with my code. I could never decide how I was going to handle this. Was there a set of classes for this service, a set of classes for that service? How do you join that data? It's complicated. Uh, I don't think we need to talk about all of that, but I just wanted to say I feel your pain, James. Yeah, and this one was complicated for the fact that there were so many different backends, like you're saying, and I had different parsing code. And at one time I was using link to Twitter, which is a Twitter sort of wrapper, which made it really easy. So I could say, here's my key, just go do it. And then that sort of fell out and not up to date on the <laughs> Twitter API. So then I had to update the app with the new Twitter API. I go, man, this is complicated. Like I keep having to change things all the time. Uh, and I can do that, but the bigger problem is that when I started to rebuild the app, I started to look at the payload coming from these backends. How big of a text file do you think the RSS feed is coming from Hanselman's blog? Oh gosh, um, I know he has a lot of posts. I oh golly, it's got to be big. I'm gonna guess five meg compressed, uncompressed. What are we talking? whatever i do to hit a get async get, get string async well hopefully you're enabling compression everyone i don't know if it's on by default it's a setting on <laughs> http client and client factory make sure you enable compression uh otherwise i have no idea james tell me the number it was five megabytes i don't know how you guessed that. nailed it because <laughs> i deal with data sources dude <laughs> yeah well and it was the same for twitter the funny part is that since it was a oh, this is my kind of fun play toy, you know, your API limited. So really 
it's only 15 calls per 15 minutes. So it's like a call a minute. Oh yeah. So if yeah. many people had the app, it wasn't going to work. And then you're pulling down all of this Twitter data, which again, which is a huge amount, but do you know how much data I'm displaying in the UI, Frank? Oh, well, at a time, probably not too much. Or do you mean just the, what the app can totally display? Weird question. Yeah. So if I have a list of blogs and when I tap on the blog, I'm just going to open a website, right? I'm not going to try to render the HTML. That'd be silly. Okay. okay. So for that list, how many, how many properties do you think I need? Oh, I don't know. There's probably 500 items. I think I guessed before in the list, there's the title, the description, the icon, the date, you know, that stuff. Yeah. So what if you were to take the blog and then parse it somewhere else on a back end and then only return JSON instead of XML to your mobile application, <laughs> how big would that file be? Oh, okay. So you cleaned out the data on a server, um, but it's all the same data. So did you get it down to a megabyte? What did you get it down to? Five kilobytes. No, you didn't. It's There's not no the, data there then. <laughs> it's not it's only the data that I'm displaying in the mobile app. So no descriptions because I mean just one of his descriptions could be 5 kilobytes. Huh. So here's what I do is I don't need a full description. I have a caption because I only need to display so many characters in the app. So the beautiful part is that the description normally is the full HTML blob. So my goal here, and then I also want to display a photo. And what I do is I try to detect a photo inside of that blob. So what I said is what if my backend stripped all the HTML out, only gave me finite little tiny bits of data. So the title, the image URL to display, the caption and the main URL. That's very, very small compared to here's this huge blob with mostly tons of XML junk, to be honest with you. And when you think about hitting a backend, sometimes um, backends will allow you to pass in arguments to say, hey, only give me these three things. But sometimes they don't. And sometimes you don't know. So I said, what if I create my own backend that was sitting there and was able to cache data on demand, write that out to disk, and then kind of keep that as an API. Mm-hmm. How could I optimize my mobile app to have the smallest payload possible? And I did this, Frank, with an Azure function. Ooh, okay. So we have a lot to talk about here. But first, I want to say congratulations. You've done what I've been meaning to do for a while now. Uh, Kelka has currency data in it. And currency prices, unfortunately, keep changing. (laughs) So you got to keep updating it. We all used to just scrape from Yahoo. It was fine. (laughs) The whole Mm -hmm. internet ran off of Yahoo's currency data. But then they stopped serving it. Oh, no. Quite rude of them. Yeah. (laughs) So now I have to pay for a currency service. Um, Fortunately, unfortunately, Kelka is popular. And I quickly kept going over my rate limits for that currency service. So I need to build an Azure function, a something something function to also, as you said, cache the data. Uh, You mentioned that you hit rate limits with Twitter. That's exactly what I'm running into. And so instead of having everyone's app uh, hit this API, my server will hit it, cache it for a bit, and then the server has to 
uh, people's devices will hit my server instead of theirs. And not by server. I know it's serverless, whatever. We all know what we're talking about here. Some machines handling the, <laughs> the message. It's very, very true. So I'm going to send you my C sharp file. The cool part here is that this is less than 100 lines of code to update automatically and also to create an endpoint. Because the reason I created an Azure function, let's start there, okay? Okay. Mm -hmm. I created an Azure function because I wanted to have job scheduling so I could hit something over and over again, you know, maybe every five minutes, every 10 minutes, every 20 minutes. And at the same time, I didn't want a server running 24 seven because you say, oh, James, just create a web API. And that's mm -hmm. great if you are modifying the data, if you need to have access immediately to your database and you have a bunch of stuff. But for me, I'm just doing very simple things like I want to every 15 minutes, go and update the tweets and create an HTTP endpoint for me that people can query. And I decided that Azure Functions were going to be great. If people don't know what Azure Functions are, it's serverless compute. This would be very similar to AWS Lambda or Google Cloud Functions, I think they're called, because uh, why not? But you can write them in JavaScript and F Sharp and C Sharp and Java and C++. You can write them in anything. And of course, I wrote it in C Sharp. But my favorite yeah, part yeah. is that they have these connector things. And this is where it gets yeah. cool, Frank, because what I do here is I decided that every 15 minutes I was going to go check Twitter because my, my rate is, is once a minute. But I said I can do it every 15 minutes unless he's on a tweet <laughs> storm, you know, and uh, and that'll be fine. I could do it every minute. But hey, just every here. And what it'll do is it will handle all the code. And you only pay for execution time. So if it runs for 0.1 second, right, boom. Now it's going to do the networking. It's going to do the caching. It's going to do the parsing. It's going to do all the hard work for me automatically. Boom. Um, and that's super duper cool. But at the same time, you also have these cool connectors on here to do what I needed to do, which is read and write to a blob on Azure blob storage, like a JSON file. So um, that's like one line of code. It's bananas to do. I, I think that this, this is the most interesting part because anytime you say I have this awesome function machine that takes inputs and spits out outputs, immediately the first question you ask is, well, I have a bunch of data and I need to access that data. How do I do that? And what I love here is that each of these functions, while they're literally functions, so you declare them as um, static methods on a static class so it's a pure function mm -hmm. and um i love what you do you just add an argument to that function a parameter with some attributes and the attributes say here's the file i want from this blob storage connection which i assume you name your connections in a config file or it's uh mm -hmm. configured on the web interface or something like that but the point is uh you literally just declare a parameter it's a stream like the old system IO stream and you say blob and you just put all these attributes on it to tell it how to get that blob and magic presto you have your connection and even better you can say if you want read access or write access yeah pretty darn sweet yeah so for each of these i have one that does a read and one that does the write and uh the read obviously is an http trigger so the idea is that something will trigger this so when i publish this function it gets a web API style get, and I have a get on here, and it's I can hit that from the browser from anywhere else, 
and it will then automatically suck in the blob that it will try to find there as long as it exists, which it does, read it in, load that string up, and then return that as an HTTP request. And it's super quick. And the cool part there is that it's not parsing anything. It's like immediate, right? It's just reading in a five kilobyte file on a super crazy fast server somewhere and returning that as a web request as JSON. Boom. Yeah. It's fantastic. You would think that they could even uh, streamline that part a bit so you don't even have to go through that. I know there's tricks you can do with uh, blob storage where you can generate temporary URLs, mm. like read-only URLs, and serve that URL so you're not even hitting any of your server. You're not even using any of your bandwidth. Anyway, that's just a refinement. I want to call out the timer and how your update function works because I find this very interesting too. Mm -hmm. Just yep, Just like the blob storage, it's just another parameter on your function this time it's i've got a weird type the type is timer info and it's my timer so an input to your function is some timer and now the part that i find most hilarious you set up this timer using cron syntax <laughs> yes folks 1970s cron syntax the syntax no one can remember yep. except for system administrators and god bless their hearts but it's an impossible syntax to remember but you can put that in. Uh, I, I hope that there are some nice parameters on that attribute so I don't have to remember cron syntax. Nope, there are not. Yeah. Nope. Oh, great. Great. We're all going to go have to buy that Unix book and remember how to write cron. The, the documentation <laughs> is very good. It tells you how to do it. So um, this one is saying, uh -huh. <laughs> this one is saying every 15 minutes run my timer. Yeah. Well, no, that's not what it says, James. It says zero space star slash 15 space star, space star, space star, space star. So this is saying great <laughs> at, the, at the top of the hour every 15 minutes. So at one o'clock, one fifteen, one thirty, one forty five, this will run. That's how that works. <sighs> it's so obvious. <laughs> well, the default, we should, uh, the default template, the default template gives you the run every five minutes. So then you can just modify that. And that's great. <laughs> so. So as long as, yeah, as long as you just want to run on a minute mark, we, we got you covered. Otherwise, go buy a $50 book and see yep. how that syntax works. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing with you have two functions. I don't know if we made that clear, but you have one function that just fetches your um, trim down JSON. And then you have another function that actually queries Twitter and then writes out that trim down function into the blob storage. So one of these functions reads from blob, the other one writes to blob. And I like that they kept that very simple too. Again, you just declare your stream and you just say, this time I want to write to it instead of read from it. And it works exactly how you would expect it to. Very nice. It's super duper simple and boom, it's good to go. Now, I, I have not tested necessarily the concurrent. Some people may be thinking, what if you're reading and writing at the same time? Like, how does that work? And I haven't tested that, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, uh, the the general trick with that, um, blobs are different. So you would have to look up what their policy is with how stream works. But I would assume that you would either get an access violation or it'd be the last writer wins. But you should definitely look that up because it'll come up. <laughs> I'm sure it'll come up. Yeah. So that's one thing that I definitely need to look at. But in general, the, the beautiful part here is that, boom, it's just like done all of a sudden. And what I like about this is that previously there was multiple APIs, like there was a JSON API, there was an XML API. Now from my mobile app, I consider this the mobile API. And this is yeah. something that I've been preaching for a long time when it comes to mobile development 
and a lot of people implement this, um, I've seen it in action. It works well is that you always sort of have this master API that's usually controlling your website. And then you have a mobile shim layer on top of it. So the idea is that your mobile apps hit the mobile API, which does the hard work of interlaying with your main one. And the reason you want to do that is because of versioning of your backend and your mobile apps. You know, when people go to your website, they always get the latest, but people may be on older versions of your mobile app and you need to worry about sort of handling those updates there. So the cool part here is I could create another Azure function that's called Twitter get tweets version two, right? And then that could return something else for the next version of my app. And then I don't have to deploy anything, a new web server. Like it's just a new endpoint that my mobile app could hit if I needed to dramatically change the model of the application. But the cool part here is no server, no server running all the time. There are servers (laughs) and no database. There's no database. It's just a blob on disk done. Well, we really got to the crux of the problem there. What you're really happy is you're controlling the interface. You're like, I'm so tired of other people's APIs. I just want to have my own API. I think it it's just a control. It's a control. It's thing a control. <laughs> but I, I will say this, Frank, is on top of that, I can now do some other things with this. So for instance, when I'm running a query to say, hey, go update this file on disk, Maybe I could perhaps check when the last blog post was written. And when he publishes a new blog post, send a push notification. Oh, oh yeah. Because they have all those integrations in these things. So that's an advanced feature. I just want to um, ask you one question more about your code here. One yeah, one nice input to these functions. You can have an iLogger, which gives you, I guess, a logger. Mm-hmm. Who we all need a logger. Got it. And you're doing your you're doing your logging very diligently. It's very nice. Question: Do you have debugger support at all? <laughs> can you F5 this in Visual Studio, or do are you relying actually on printf basically debugging? So good question. I mean, you can run this locally. So I just ran everything locally first, mm-hmm. just to validate it. And okay. w- what I did is inside of my source code, which I have in the show notes, you'll notice on the update Twitter update blog is that I have a pound if debug. <laughs> so um, safe, <laughs> safe. So if debug, then instead of making it a timer trigger that just runs, I can just manually trigger it and then boom, good to go. Okay. Uh, now, I don't know how it works with. um. I believe what I would have to do to be able to F5 debug this is I can do it locally and you run everything locally. So if it works locally, it's the same runtime that is deployed in Azure. So you know it's actually okay. going to work um, there. Uh, but quick question. How does the blob storage work when you run locally? It uh, runs in the blob storage emulator. Just locally. It actually does. It's, it's all built in. Because I always wondered about that. Um, it seemed that... I know there were always, what, what am I saying? Like some GitHub repos of blob emulators, but is that all built into Visual Studio or not? It's all built in. So I did. I literally had to do nothing. And Great. at least on Windows, I don't know on Mac. Yeah. Yeah, I know the tools exist on Mac because they're just .NET Core tools, but I think it's a bit more of a manual process on the Mac. It may be. All I know is I did it locally, totally worked, 
did it. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing with a function is that when you create the function, you create blob storage associated with that function. So when I published my Azure function, I didn't have to I didn't have to put set up anything on my back end. It just says, "Hey, any function that's in this group is going to be communicating by default, right? By default with the associated blob storage of the function. You could point it at other ones, yes, but out of the box, if you don't do anything or want to configure anything, it just says, hey, Azure Functions have blob storage associated with them and you can read and write to it. Have a fun day. <laughs> um, I love that for sure. I love not having to create two things. I do have one question on terminology though. So I'll, when I go into the Azure portal and create a function, is that one file that can have multiple endpoints or is it one endpoint per function? Mm. Yes. So what you're creating is sort of, I I don't know the exact terminology, but when you go create a function app, I call it, it's kind of like a group of functions. So it's a group. It's it's many endpoints. It's many functions. Okay. Yes. Now, and that would be a good way. So ideally you'd have one that was like Calca or iCircuit. You'd have different groups for those uh, in general. And then you would have all of your iCircuit ones in there or something like that or, or whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm liking this. You know, um, the iCircuit gallery is already hosted up on the Azure, so it should be very easy to hook some functions into it. I think I'm running my own API right now, and that's kind of terrible. It'd be easier to just do it this way. So I'm excited to try that out too. It's super duper nice. Yeah. I'm really in love with it. And I was already building the apps inside of Azure DevOps. And on my stream, I set up an I set up the Azure function. So every time I publish the code, it redeploys the Azure function off to the back end automatically for me too. So it's all set up in Azure DevOps. When I build the app, you know, <laughs> push to master, it will update the Azure function. It will update the mobile apps. It'll go to app center. It'll do all the things. And that was a fun ex- experiment too. It, it took me a little bit longer than I <laughs> thought it would, but it was pretty easy. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Was there just a step built into uh, the DevOps stuff or did you have to write a custom step? There was a there was pre-built continuous integration and a pre-built um, a pre-built uh, delivery as well. But I had a hard time because you have to specify file pass a little bit different and it took me a little bit to debug that, but I got it working. Mm. So <laughs> it wasn't too bad. It was like it was like, oh, I can't yeah. find this file. What file are you looking for? You're looking in the wrong place. Template. Why'd you do that? Because <laughs> what it expects is that you have your CS proj in your root. It's kind of what it's oh, expecting where, sorry. where mine is in slash source slash Hanselman dot functions. And then I had to add those on and then it worked all properly. So yeah, kind of funny. Okay. Yep. Just yeah. the normal CI stuff. The reason yeah. every first CI build is red. Yep. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds yeah. normal. Ah, I like this a lot. I'm I, Once again, you do my work for me. So now I'm all set. I'm all set to write my own function. I'm trying to think if I have any more questions, like what hurdles would I run over? But it's sounding pretty easy. I'm just going to hit the API, download some currencies, dump them to a blob storage. I mean, I might just copy your code verbatim. Do it. Change a few paths. <laughs> it's funny that we're doing essentially the same thing. So I, think, I think this model of what I showed for bits and pieces of apps or like what you're doing there when you need to be rate limited, it's going to save you so much money. You're not going to hit your rate. And 
I was just testing the mobile app and my refresh, it's like so fast because you're in control of the data. You're in control of the format. You know what I mean? So I couldn't recommend it enough. And hopefully people can take a look at the, I'll, I'll put a link to the video that I'll publish and then also um, uh, to, to the source code too. And I hope that people take a look at it because it's pretty cool. I'm pretty into it. <laughs> I'm proud of myself. Well, not. Now we just have to write a library so you can do all of that in one line of code. <laughs> just auto-generate those functions. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty awesome. All right, well, Frank, well, I think that's going to do it. I am so hungry because it's almost seven o'clock. I'm so <laughs> hungry and it's almost the weekend. But Frank, I cannot wait to talk to you about WWDC. It's going to be ridiculous. The beginning of the beta summer where we find out how much money we're going to spend in the fall and how much work we have to do over the summer. Can't wait, James. All the money. I'm ready. All right, buddy. Well, have a great weekend. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And let us know how you're using Azure Functions or using Lambda or anything to optimize your app. I'd be interested. Let us know. You can find us everywhere on the internet. Go to mergeconflict.fm or tweet at us at mergeconflict.fm or join our Patreon, patreon.com slash mergeconflict.fm or do whatever. Just go to the website. There's the buttons on there. You click the things, you do the things and whatever. Uh, I did send out all the stickers to our Patreon listeners. So thanks for uh, being supporters. We super duper appreciate it. I think it's going to do it for this week's Merge Conflict. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.